Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. If you all listened last week, you know that I started a new series on diabetes. We are starting with diabetes mellitus type 2, as it is the most prevalent type of diabetes, and currently 90% of all new cases of diabetes are type 2. I spoke to this statistic last week relating it to obesity, sedentary lifestyle, increased consumptions of refined sugars and processed food, which create high levels of glucose in our body. This ultimately can lead to an underproduction of insulin by the beta cells of the pancreas or decreased sensitivity of insulin. Insulin is used to help open the door to our cells to allow glucose in for energy. We went into detail on the podcast last week of what diabetes mellitus type 2 is, the role of insulin, the body's use of glucose and how we obtain glucose readily for energy, the causes of type 2 diabetes, and high-risk populations. So this week, we're going to move on starting with symptoms of type 2 diabetes, which are a direct correlation to high glucose levels in the blood. To start, you often hear of the three P's that are associated with symptoms of diabetes, both 1 and 2, those being polydipsia, polyuria, and polyphagia, which are medical terms for increased thirst, increased urination, and increased hunger. Fatigue is directly related with increased circulating levels of glucose as well. Um, We also talk about blurred vision, uncontrolled blood pressure, related to an inflammatory response in the blood vessels caused by the damage of the large molecule of glucose disrupting the integrity of the vessel wall. Frequent infections are also associated with high levels of glucose as bacteria, yeast, fungus. They all like to feed on the glucose that are in excess at the at either an infection site, an open wound, or just circulating through the body. Urinary tract infections are common too because that the urine is high uh, in glucose, and so bacteria kind of flocks to that area because they can feed on the glucose. Uh, areas of darkened skin, usually on the neck or under the armpits, can often be noted on patients with type 2 diabetes. These dark, velvety, thick patches of skin are called acanthosis nicricans. Type 2 diabetes is usually diagnosed with the use of a blood test called glycated hemoglobin A1c, or simply hemoglobin A1c, as everyone knows it. This blood test indicates your average blood sugar level for the past two to three months, simply because the lifespan of a red blood cell is approximately three months. New red blood cells are added as older ones die off. It specifically measures what percentage of Your hemoglobin, which is a protein in the red blood cell that carries oxygen, is coated with sugar, hence the term glycated, meaning sugar-coated. The higher your A1C level, the poorer your blood sugar control. This allows your 
healthcare provider to assess for prediabetes or diagnose diabetes itself. If you are identified as prediabetic, you are at higher risk for developing diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Patients who fall in the prediabetic classification have a hemoglobin A1C of 5.7% to 6.4% per the most recent data released by the CDC. A value less than 5.7% is considered normal. Diabetes is diagnosed in a patient that has a hemoglobin A1C of 6.5% or above. This is often repeated on two different days or two different occasions, and both values looked at in order to make a definitive diagnosis. Fasting blood glucose level is also used to help identify risk for development of diabetes or a diagnosis of diabetes type 2. A normal fasting glucose is identified as a fasting glucose that is less than 100 milligrams per deciliter. Impaired fasting glucose is identified as a fasting glucose of 100 to 126 milligrams per deciliter, which increases the risk for the development of diabetes. And a fasting glucose greater than 126 milligrams per deciliter on more than two occasions can lead to the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. How often you need your hemoglobin A1C test uh, completed on an annual basis depends on the type of diabetes you have, how well it has been managed in the past, and your current treatment plan. The American Diabetes Association recommends that diabetes screening for most adults begin at age 45. The ADA advises diabetic screening before age 45 if you are overweight and have additional risk factors for prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, such as a family history. For those that fall in the prediabetic range with their hemoglobin A1C of 5.7 to 6.4%, it's checked once yearly. Hemoglobin A1C is checked twice a year if you have type 2 diabetes, you do not use insulin, and your blood sugar level is consistently within the target range. And hemoglobin A1C is monitored four times a year for patients with type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes that involve insulin management, um, uncontrolled diabetes, meaning you have a hemoglobin A1C greater than 8%, or continuously uncontrolled blood sugars. For most adults that have diabetes, a hemoglobin level of 7.7 or less is common treatment target. Although this can be an individual basis um, based on what your healthcare provider wants for you specifically as a patient. For those individuals who have trouble controlling their diabetes, blood sugar levels can be monitored at home with devices to help tighten the control of blood sugars. It is important to note that hemoglobin A1C tests can sometimes be falsely elevated or falsely low. If the patient experiences heavier chronic bleeding, this can deplete their depletes their hemoglobin stores, which will alter their A1C tests and show falsely low hemoglobin A1C. If the patient has iron deficiency anemia, their hemoglobin A1C test can result with a falsely high level. It is important to note that most individuals have one type of hemoglobin, called hemoglobin A, but in rare cases, patients can have uncommon forms of hemoglobin known as hemoglobin variant. And this can alter your hemoglobin A1C results by either falsely high or falsely low. Hemoglobin variants are most often found in blacks or individuals of Mediterranean or Southeast Asian heritage. This is mostly important for your healthcare provider to know and to identify during a diagnosis of diabetes. With a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes comes potential complications of untreated or uncontrolled diabetes. It can 
be easy for patients to ignore type 2 diabetes, especially in the early stages when there are no real symptoms and you feel really well and really normal. Diabetes affects many major organs, including your heart and vascular system, the nerves, the eyes, and your kidneys. Good management of your blood sugar levels can prevent these complications. To start, diabetes increases the risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, and narrowing of the blood vessels due to plaque buildup on the artery walls called atherosclerosis and high blood pressure. When I was in training, I was told an analogy on glucose in the bloodstream in large quantities. So I'm thinking about blood glucose, large quantities, um, and my physician that I was working with in training um, really gave me this analogy that helped me understand the detriment it can have on our vessels. The physician I was working with said, um, he made this reference to other nutrients and molecules such as potassium, magnesium, proteins and such, um, all these small molecules that can easily and freely flow through the blood vessels without complications, kind of like a motorcycle can fly down a road or zip around a bend easier than a Mack truck. Glucose is such a large molecule that when it circulates in large quantities through our blood, it's like a Mack truck coming around a fast bend of a tunnel and that it'll bump into the damage, I'm sorry, it'll bump into the vessel walls and damage them simply because of the size and the quantity. That continued bumping against the vessel wall will disrupt the integrity of the vessel wall and cause damage. The smaller blood vessels such as capillaries can experience greater damage sooner because of the size and the frailness. This is why diabetics can have poor circulation and poor tissue healing because of the damage done to the microcirculatory system. Diabetics also have poor healing due to increased levels of glucose in the blood, which I spoke about before, which can, again, attract bacteria and cause infection easily. Because of poor circulation as well as damage to the circulatory system, you can have nerve damage, also known as neuropathy. Excess sugar can cause tingling, numbness, burning, or pain that usually begins at the tips of the toes or fingers and gradually worsens up the limb. Not only is peripheral neuropathy or nerve damage to the limbs a complication of diabetes, but also nerves of different systems within the body can be affected as well. Damage to the nerves that control digestion can cause problems with nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or even constipation. Erectile dysfunction may become an issue for some men as well. Diabetes has the ability to lead to kidney failure or irreversible kidney damage, which in end-stage renal function can lead to the requirement of dialysis or even a kidney transplant. Hearing impairment is more common amongst individuals who are diabetic as well, um, and skin complications such as bacterial and fungal infections are also um, more highly seen in diabetics. Ocular or eye damage is common in diabetics such as cataracts, glaucoma, or even retinopathy, which is caused by damage to the blood vessels of the retina, which can potentially lead to blindness. Obstructive sleep apnea is common in type 2 diabetics and is likely linked directly to because of obesity. Treating sleep apnea with CPAP titration will deliver more oxygen to the heart muscle and can lower your blood pressure. It's not clear if treating sleep apnea can help improve blood sugar control, but with lifestyle modifications such as weight loss and CPAP therapy, sleep apnea can 
easily be managed. Alzheimer's disease has been linked to type 2 diabetes, although it's not clear why. It may be related to poor blood sugar control and vascular changes in the brain, again going back to the detrimental effects that glucose molecules can have on our vascular system. Next week's episode will review treatment options including lifestyle modifications, oral medications, as well as subcutaneous injected insulin therapy to maintain Um, I'm sorry, to manage type 2 diabetes and blood glucose levels. I hope that you have continued to solidify your previous knowledge of diabetes mellitus type 2 while learning a few things, and hopefully I've been able to clarify any confusing topics or misunderstandings. Again, it's always a pleasure to have you here listening, and you can always reach me at Instagram handle Let's Review RN. And if you have time, I would love to hear your feedback by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts or or anywhere you're listening from. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.